Today, we begin a, a Lent teaching series through Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 23. We are calling the series Life Without Lack, which is based on the first verse of this wonderful psalm. And it's also based on a book by Dallas Willard called Life Without Lack. It's our hope that through the season and through some of the ways our community groups will be fasting each week, we come to realize that we don't lack anything. Everything we would ever need is found in God. Now, for those of you that are new to the idea or the season of Lent, Lent is a 50-day season in the historic church calendar where the church just moves into Easter uh, by repenting. It's a time to slow down and, and fast to hear God. And so it started on Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, where if you went to an Ash Wednesday service or if you've been to one before, they put ash on your forehead to remind you that from dust you came and to the dust you shall return, meaning you are mortal flesh. And in our mortality, we prepare ourselves for the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, the way that we do that is just really slowing down. Um, this is a time, this is a season of lament. Uh, this is a season of, um, so if you're feeling a little heavy, uh, heavy hearted this, this morning, it's okay. The church actually, in the church calendar, it gives you space to be heavy hearted. Um, January starts with all your New Year's resolutions, with all like, we're going to take over the world. You know, it's January, this is amazing. And then right around mid-February, we get to enter into a season of like, oh, I'm only flesh and blood. I can't do, I can only do so much. And I need to remember that I'm flesh. I remember that I need God. I need to actually probably take away some of the stuff that I've been indulging in to make room for God again in my life. And so the church calendar gives us room to do that. And so uh, from the first Christians, the church observed with great devotions the days of Christ's passion and resurrection. And it became a custom of the church to prepare for that time with the season of repentance. And so we want to do this season. We're going to do a, a series during the season called Life Without Lack. Now, one of the things I would like us to do as a church is to memorize Psalm 23 together. And so what I want to, we're not going to do this today, but starting tomorrow, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word and we're going to see if we could just recite it by memory. Um, and so I want you to uh, think about uh, really the, the, the invitation or the challenge, however you want, whatever best suits you. If it's like a challenge, like I'm totally going to kill it. Or if it's just an invitation, you're like, oh, I love being invited into this. What, however, however you hear this, um, we want to ask you to spend 10 minutes of quiet meditation on Psalm 23 every single morning. And it is incredible. It is incredible when you start to memorize this and you don't need to read. You just, in your mind, start chewing on this passage of Scripture over and over again. And your heart wraps around it and it becomes really real to you. Um, Dallas Willard in his book On Life Without Lack says, Memorization is an essential element of a life without lack. It is, the, it is a primary way we fill our minds with the word of God and have our thoughts formed by God's thoughts. Memorizing scripture is even more important than a daily quiet time. For as we fill our minds with great passages and have them readily available for our meditation, quiet time takes over the entirety of our lives. That's amazing. Memorization enables us to keep God and his truth constantly before our minds, consistently before our minds, and God's word and wisdom are able to help us. And so we're going to memorize this psalm each morning. And then when we get here on Sunday, we're going to recite it together. And my hope is that like four or five weeks in, we don't even need the slide on the screen. We just know it from memory. That's our hope. 
So um, also you can find the CG material and the resources for memorizing Psalm 23 on our website tomorrow, or you can just open your Bible. It's there, it's there as well. Um, we're going to be memorizing it out of the, uh, the NIV translation. So if you're like reading all these different translations, it'd be horrible if everyone's reading a different translation. It's chaos. So let's all re remember, uh, try to re re remember it or memorize it in, Psalm, in NIV. But let's do this this morning. I want to read this psalm over you slowly. And I want you to, um, I want you to take it in. Uh, through just li sitting down. You guys are sitting down. Sitting back, uh, breathing deeply, taking this in, even the way I say this psalm, to bring this in. Now, I might not recite it perfectly, but I'll recite it from my memory together as we pray. Cool? All right. And then I'll pray, and then we'll get into today's sermon. So we're in verse 1, by the way, but I just want to read the whole psalm. So close your eyes. Bow your heads if that's... That's really comfortable for you. Um, take a deep breath. Um, breathe in. Lord, we ask that your spirit uh, would be here this morning. We want to breathe in your, the breath of life that you breathed into us at creation. And you breathed into us, Jesus, when you rose from the dead. You breathed on disciples and you said, receive the spirit. We want that spirit in us, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, I pray that this psalm gets so deep into our bones, our psyche, our mind, our hearts, that we begin to live as if it were true. I want this psalm to be, I know this psalm is read at almost every graveside funeral. I pray that it'd be something that we live, that we live, Lord. It wouldn't be something that just is read over us when we're dead, but something that we live and that it would carry us all the days of our lives, Lord. This psalm is true. Make it true about us, Jesus. We love you. Pray for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last year, I really got into SZA's album, Control. Um, she got nominated for five Grammy nominations for her album. And if you're thinking, if you've ever heard this album, you're thinking, Pastor Dave, that album is um, pretty explicit. I know it's explicit. This is why I always listen to the edited version of all albums. 
Shout out to Apple Music for making those available. Thank you. If you work there, thank you, thank you. Tell someone thank you, thank you. So I'm like really into this album, right? And I like this album a lot. And I realize I don't know what most of the songs mean because they're edited. <laughs> and one of my most favorite songs on the album is mostly instrumental because it's like, uh, it's like just, he's saying, there's, she's saying something that I can't be listening to or something. And then there's music and I, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I'm thinking one day, there's probably a lot going on on this song that I don't know about. So one day I decided to listen to the real version of the song and read the lyrics along with it. And oh my gosh, I, ha I didn't see this coming. I read the lyrics and I'm like, this is a completely different song than what I thought. <laughs> completely. I had no idea that this is what the song was about and I'll never be able to unhear this song <laughs> ever again. And I think, I think, Psalm 23 is one of those songs in the Bible that everyone likes and we think we know what it means. You start the lyrics, you're like, oh, I know the lyrics to this one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, like, you know it. Like, I know, I know where this goes. But I don't think we really do. At least, I don't think we know the, what the lyrics mean to this song. Because Psalm 23 is actually explicit in itself. It's not explicit in its content. But it is explicit in its implications. Psalm 23 calls you and I sheep. It says, you're a sheep. And God is a good shepherd. You are sheep and God is a good shepherd. You're a sheep. I mean, think about that. That's, that's not, that's insulting. Like, it's insulting when you hear that, when God's like, oh, you're a sheep. I mean, sheep are not like the smartest animals ever, right? They're, they're, the only thing sheep got going for them is that they're cute. I mean, they're really cute. And they're yummy. They're pretty good as well. But let's just not think about that. They're cute. That's pretty much what they have going for them. My... My wife and I are trying to, um, recently been trying to get into a home in the city to lay down roots in here and be here long term, all that stuff. And we're looking at pictures of homes all the time that are on the market in the city all the time. And a few homes, for some reason, will stage a house with sheep in the backyard. <laughs> sheep in the backyard. And my wife and I will like screenshot it and send it to each other like there's sheep in this backyard. Why are there sheep? Now, no one is under the delusion that they're there for protection, right? It's like... <laughs> These are guard sheep. They're here to guard the house, right? They're, no one's under this delusion that this is what they're there for. They're cute. That's what they're there for. Like, oh my gosh, there's sheep in the backyard. I want this house or whatever. They're not in the backyard solving the cost of living problem in San Francisco. They're not back there trying to plan their escape or anything like that. When God calls us sheep, it's not that affirming. It's not that empowering. But we are sheep. Now, don't miss the point of this. What is universal about sheep is that they need a shepherd. Every, all sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep will pretty much die. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I am in the care of someone else. I am not the one in charge. I, my life lies in the care of someone else. And this is where we come face to face with the explicit implications to this psalm. It means if you are able to say the Lord is my shepherd, what you're saying is that I've taken my kingdom, my personal kingdom, and I've surrendered it to the kingdom of God. I've taken my life and I placed it in the hands of God. And he is my shepherd. God is my leader. God is my Lord. That's what that means. But, but it's easy to say, but is it true? And for most of us, if we were honest, it's not that true. And so because the first part of that sentence is not true, the second part of that sentence isn't true either. 
Because the Lord is my, not your shepherd, you can't say, we lack nothing. We can't at all. We, we actually do lack. Actually, some of us are so used to the feeling of lack that it fuels you as a human. Your lack is what drives you forward. Aren't most of us driven by wanting what we don't have? That is what drives us. We're driven by our lack. Our lack drives us. It pushes us. Our lack gives us edge. And we all know in this culture, in this city, we all need an edge. Sean White, who just won the men's gold snowboarding halfpipe, won on his very last run this last week. And he was being interviewed. And they were talking about him coming from behind. And how, why, is, why do you always wait to the very last run to do something? He says, I need that edge. I need that lack to make up for. I need to stand there and go, if I don't do this, I'm nothing. And so he goes and he kills it. And it's lack that drives many of us. It's our lack that drives us competitively. It's our lack that drives us to eat better. It's our lack that drives us to go to the gym, to take an extra class, to fill the gaps in our LinkedIn profile or whatever. Like our lack drives us. And so maybe a life without lack, even thinking about that idea of a life without lack, that's unnerving to us. Can you imagine a life without lack where you're just content with God, your shepherd? You're just content. You need nothing. That you're just content. Think about the feelings of contentment. Being happy in your own skin. I think that idea is so foreign to us, we don't even know if we really want it. Here's a very super, super, super silly illustration, but I think this is like real talk. I, I love, I think I've shared this with you before, I love shoes, right? I, I have a shoe thing, like a thing with shoes, right? I mean, all shoes, like guy's shoes, even women's shoes. I just like shoes, right? And... Whereas people, there's few people in the church that will always have the sneaker thing. Oh, nice sneakers. Oh, nice sneakers. Oh, where'd you get? Like that sort of thing, right? And that kind of thing happens. But this is the truth. My shoe thing came from lack. Like I grew up being not able to afford any, any sort of good shoes or any brand name shoes. And it was even made fun of for the shoes I wore in elementary school. Like made fun of, full on. And so I made... When I made enough money to buy my own shoes, I wanted nice shoes. I researched nice shoes. I learned the culture, what fits best, what I liked, sneaker, all this sort of thing. And I made up for my lack. My lack drove me. Now, that's a, kind of a silly illustration, but we all know this, this is what happens. In our, in our culture, we see someone with something nice and we think, what are they compensating for? What are they making up for? We know this. We know that people do this all the time. And you do it in, 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 in certain ways you do it. You're making up for some lack by this thing. And it drives us. And the question for a life without lack is, are you willing to let that go? Are you, am I willing for me to, for my shoes not to be an extension of who I am, right? Making it for something that I've lacked. Are you willing for your job, your relational status, your kids, your weight, your net worth, your advocacy, your anger, not to be an extension of who you are? Are you willing to give that up? I don't think we're really, really willing to do that. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that lack drives us, all of us in various ways. Are you ready and willing to let that go? Are you ready to lack nothing? And what if that, your competitive edge kind of goes away and, or in a different way, it's channeled in a different way? What would it feel like and would you be afraid of that feeling? I think that is the implications of this psalm. Someone who came face to face with this sort of question was the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, turn there if you'd like to. Matthew 19, it will also, also be on the screen. Matthew 19, um, a, 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 a man comes up to him that we know, we call him the rich young ruler. And he said this, he came up to Jesus and he said, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I want life, I want eternal life, life forever, abundant life, I want life. 
And Jesus says, why, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. This guy gets really excited because he could do this. He's like, well, which, which ones? Like, which commandments? Jesus replied, you shall not murder. And you can imagine this guy as he hearing his, no, you shall not murder. He's like, yes. <laughs> you shall not commit adultery. Yes. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your father and mother and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus stops the guy's like, oh my gosh, I've done all these things. Okay, this is great. And he says, all these I have kept, but here it is. The young man said, what do I still lack? Okay, here's the thing. We're, about to, we're about to find out this man was very, very, this young man was very, very wealthy. He was very, very powerful. And so he gained everything the world deemed enough. He gained the status and he gained the money and it wasn't enough. He still felt like he lacked. And so I would imagine, I'm reading into this, but I imagine he went full on into religion. And he was killing religion, killing it at religion. Not killing religion, but killing it at religion. <laughs> he was doing religion so well. He's like, Ten Commandments. I'm nailing all the commandments. I'm doing all of them. But still, when he was doing these commandments, it wasn't enough. He felt he lacked something. He still felt like he lacked. And I know, I know, I know for a fact that people do this, even in church. Like, you hit a wall, you've gained everything, you're still not enough, and you come to church, you try church for a little while. Like, I'll go get religion. I'll go get church for a while. And I'll be around church. And let me see if I still lack something. Maybe this is the thing I need. And he went and he got religion and it, he wasn't satisfied. And it drove him to Jesus. And he was like, Jesus, can you tell me what's wrong here? I've been doing, I did the world thing. I did the status thing. I did the money thing. I did the religion thing. I'm killing it at everything you're saying. And I'm still, what do I lack? I'm lacking something. And so Jesus, look at his response. He said, you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, I think when we all hear this, you're like, why'd you read that passage? Like any other passage with that passage, right? When the, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, our lack drives us. The, the lack drove this rich young ruler. It drove him to want things like status. It, it wanted him uh, to increase his, his net worth and his wealth. It drove him even to religion. Our, our, our lack drives us. It drove him. But still, he was still after it. He was still after the thing. And he didn't even know what it was. And here's the thing about lack. Lack is really driving us toward a life without lack. That's, that's, the, that's the ironic twist in the whole thing. What is lack driving you toward? It's actually driving you towards living a life without lack. And we always think that no lack is right around the corner of getting something else. Like once I get that thing, then I will not lack anything. Once I get that thing, whatever that thing is, it could be, I mean, you, you, know, you know what those things are. Whatever that, and we always do it. We do it over and over, year after year. Once I get that thing, once I have it and we, we get it and we're like, it's not it. There's, there's that elusive carrot dangling just out of our reach. What is it that you, you and I lack? What is it that we want? If we were to go down deep with that question, the answer is probably what we want is not to want anymore. What we want is to be fulfilled. What we want is to get the thing that goes, oh, I'm content now. And look at what Jesus says. If you really want a life without lack, give up everything and follow me. 
If you really want a life without lack, no lack at all, give up everything and follow me. This is counterintuitive. This is completely upside down. What is Jesus implying here? Jesus is saying, I am enough for you. I have enough for you. I will be your good shepherd. I am enough. Your status, your religion is not enough. I am enough. Give it all away. Come follow me and I promise you it will be enough. I promise you, you will lack nothing. You are a sheep that keeps eating what is not real food and drinking what is not real drink and you keep going astray and you're trying to find what only can be found in me. Give it up. Come follow me. Let go and you will have everything, everything you lack. But this man goes away sad because he's like, I'm not willing to do that. And this is us in all kinds of different ways. Give that up. Jesus is like, give that up. Let it go. Follow me. I am enough. We're like, oh, no. well, I mean, yeah, you are enough. But Lord, I mean, this thing though. <laughs> this is really us. This is really us for reals. And we do this all the time with things. Stupid little petty things like habits. Really, really big things like with money. We will not let go and we think holding on to it will keep our life secure. But this man goes away sad because he's not willing to give up this, his riches for real life. And he will go and try to find a different way to make up for what he lacks. See, unless you can confidently say the Lord is my shepherd, you cannot finish the sentence. You cannot say I lack nothing. You must be able to say Christ is my shepherd. Once you say that, then you can complete the sentence, and I lack nothing. See, and Jesus tried to show that he was enough in many different places. Actually, if you read through the Gospels, there's so many times that Jesus tries to show us that he is enough. The, his very first miracle was in John chapter 2, where he turned water into wine. That's a fun one, right? To start off your ministry career, turning water into wine, you know it's going to be a good career, right? <laughs> and John 2.11 says this, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Okay, so when Jesus turned water into wine, this is the first sign that he, through which he revealed his glory, meaning who he was. Now, what is the story? What's the basic story of Jesus turning water into wine? There, there was a Jewish wedding. They ran out of wine. Wine symbolized joy in the Jewish faith. So they ran out of joy at a wedding. That is not a good sign, right? <laughs> Jesus takes these vats of water, ceremonial, giant ceremonial jars of water, and tells the servants to serve that water and just give it to the guests to see what happens. Give it to the, the host and see what happens. And in that process, turns water into wine. And this wine that Jesus made was a glimpse into the reality that Jesus was from another place. By the way, this, this wine was better than the wine they were serving before. Usually they said, uh, you bring out the bad wine at the end when we've had a, so much to drink that everything starts tasting good at a certain point. <laughs> That's usually what happens, but not, not Jesus. He saves the best for last, right? So he takes the best wine out. Now, what this, how this symbolizes his glory is that because of the infinite resources of God, Jesus from the place that because of the infinite resources of God, no one lacks anything ever. Jesus says, where I come from, we don't run out of wine. Where I come from, there is no lack. Jesus is showing us, no, you don't run out with, 
You don't run out with God. You don't ever run out with God. There's always enough. Not only is there always enough, there's always more. Not only is there always more, it's always the best at the end. This, this, this is, Jesus showing this is the kingdom of God. Like, and th- this might be a little earthy for you, like a little plain, like, oh, I thought, I thought it'd be something greater than that. This is, this is the stuff. This is the stuff that, 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 that Jesus shows to go, this is who I am. I, you run out and you actually don't run out. Remember the fish and the loaves story? Same thing. In John chapter six, Jesus is uh, on one of his preaching campaign walk, hikes things that he does, right? So he's like, he goes for a hike and all these people start following him. He starts teaching them. And then before you know it, they're in the middle of nowhere and everybody's starving. This happens a couple times. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, like there's no food. And there's thousands of people out here and we can't feed them. And what are we going to do? And so Jesus said, oh, Jesus said, um, well, just what do we have? Let's, let's just feed them with what we have. And then this is what Philip said. Philip said, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. There's not enough, Jesus. Okay. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. There's not enough. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, spoke up and said, hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. So some, someone like sent his, their son to go follow Jesus and was like, here, take, take your lunch as you go. Mom, pack lunch for them. And like, I'm going to go see Jesus today. Like, here's your lunch. See you tomorrow. Right? And the boy just goes off with his lunch pail. Right? And then, so Simon grabs the lunch and says, this is what we have. Five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? We don't have enough. And Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is leading the sheep on green pastures. Do you see that? The good shepherd, like, right? Come on. This is literally what happens. This is what's happening right here. Just like tell the sheep to lay down in green patches. So you're just like visually, I, I would imagine if someone's there thinking of Psalm 23, they're like, oh my gosh, my mind's blown. <laughs> Jesus is literally leading us to green pastures right here. Has everyone sit down in green little patches of grass. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, they've had plenty to eat. He said, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over and those who, by those who had eaten. There were leftovers. Okay, so Jesus does this throughout his gospel campaign. He is showing, I am enough for you. I have enough for you. Will you let go? Will you just let go? Will you trust that I'm enough for you? But we don't. We're like, uh, I would imagine if we were the boy and all these people around and like, hey, kid, do you have food? He's like, no. I don't have any food. And you're just like nibbling. Do you ever do that? Like you're in a group of people and you're, you know you're the only one with food. You're like, this won't, this won't go around all of us. So I'm just gonna eat this. Because one of us has to stay healthy to keep leading us. You know, like... This, that's, that's us. We have more than we need and there was more than when they started. Dallas Willard writes, God is not worried he is going to run out of something. Just think about that. God is not worried he's going to run out of something. God is beyond rich. 
He has so much that he will never run out of any of it. It is so important to remember this when we are fretting over a perceived need. In such a time, we may be tempted to think that maybe, just maybe, God is stingy. As God is as stingy and small as we are. He is not. God loves to give. God loves to forgive. The, I think a lot of us, uh, if we were being honest, why, don't we, why aren't we generous? Because we think it's going to run out. Guess why we're not generous? Well, if I give this, well, what if I, it doesn't come back? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough to feed my, I, I can't be generous. God, God does not ever have that worry. God doesn't go, well, if I give this to them, then what if I, this person wanted something too? I just, they won't have enough. He is never worried about that. God is never worried that he's going to run out of something. God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. In my, in my private prayers in the morning, I will often, I have this little icon on the center of my computer. And sometimes when I, I need to do this, I will open up my computer. It's all like, there's no interwebs on it or anything like that. It's just this picture. And I meditate on this icon of Jesus and the miracle of the fish and the loaves. And an icon is basically a painting of Jesus used as a spiritual tool to get Christ into your imagination. And every Christian tradition has, has some form of them all over the world. And this one is, this is one of my favorites on the screen behind me. It's an oriental Coptic icon. And it's Jesus just there with his hands open and this little boy going, I brought my lunch. And Jesus is like, I can feed everyone with this. And everyone's looking up to Jesus like, is there going to be enough? And Jesus is like, there's going to be enough. No, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be leftovers. I'm sending you guys off with leftovers. Everyone gets a doggy bag. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and, I, and I sit and I meditate on whatever it is that I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I, God, will you come through on this thing? And I look at this image and like, there, God, you have infinite resources. There is enough. And I'm not just talking about monetary stuff. I'm talking, I'm actually talking way deeper than that. There is enough. I have this practice, this discipline of when the thing I really want, I go, I don't lack that thing. Whatever that thing I think will bring me, I actually have it in God and in God's community. What is it that I want? And I fill in the blank and I go, wait, what, what is it I want? I think I want that thing, that kind of material I could put my, my arms around, but what's underneath that? And it usually has to do something with security or inheritance or a leg, something like that. And I go, I have that in Christ and in Christ's community. I have that. I have that. I have that. You guys know that my wife and I have been trying to have kids for a long time. And so whenever I sit there and I meditate on the fact that we don't have kids, why, there's all these reasons why we really, really would love to, to parent a, a child in, in the city. And then we think we get to parent a church. And that's good. We get, we, get to, we get to be uh, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers to, to other people as well in other ways. We don't lack that. We have it in Christ and in his community. The thing, that, the thing that we lack all over and over and over again, we actually have in Christ and in Christ's community. But we have to train and discipline our mind to do so. We have to fix our mind on Jesus and say over and over again, Jesus, you and your community are enough. Willard would say, the secret to a life without lack is rooted in our knowledge of God. We must, we must keep before us the knowledge of who God is always, all the time. Now here's the New Testament parallel to Psalm 23. 
Paul in describing his life to the Christians in Philippi. In response to a monetary gift, they gave him some money. They gave Paul some money. And Paul wrote and thanked them for, for their money. They're like, hey, would you, he goes, would you, you know. Uh, they wrote him and said, hey, Paul, here's some money to support missions and the work that you're doing. Um, and in and, and the gospel uh, in, in Corinth, and here's some money to go off and do your thing. And Paul was writing them back saying, thank you. He says, I greatly rejoiced. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whenever the circumstances. This is what Paul is saying to them. Paul was saying, what I've learned through my life following Jesus and my experiences following this all-sufficient all provision of the Savior is I am content, I am without anxiety, I am okay. And he was grateful for the Philippians' gift. He can truthfully say that he did not need their gift. Paul knew that the provision of God would, would, would completely become for him a life without lack. I mean, Paul, I mean, I don't know who says this. It almost sounds like a jerk move, right? Uh, thanks for your money. I didn't need it, but thanks for it. I mean, who says that? Say thank you, and that's it. Don't, don't, don't complete that sentence. But Paul said, thank you, and I didn't really need it. He had been dragged. Paul had been dragged through every, like, jailhouse in the Roman Empire. Several times he was left floating around in the ocean trying to survive shipwreck. And you would think Paul would write them and say, I can really use a boat, like a really good, solid boat. But he didn't say any of that. He said, he probably would say, I could, I could, I could, I would take a boat. I can use a boat, but I don't really have to have it. I mean, what kind of person, this is the kind of person you can't control. Usually we control people by their needs. What do you need? And we want to control them through their need. This is someone, I have, I have no lack. Pay me, don't pay me, it doesn't matter. I have no lack at all. Everything I have is in Christ. This is someone who had many lessons in many different circumstances and they taught him, the, they, they taught Paul the deep truths of the sufficiency of God. God is able to meet every single need I have. Here's his testimony. Here's the next verse. He says, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you see that coming, by the way? Yes. Some of you see that coming? Some of you guys didn't? You're like, oh, that's what that verse was? What an odd place for my favorite Bible verse. <laughs> Just right there. This is like the most popular verse in the New Testament, right? The most popular verse in the, verse in the Old Testament is Psalm, like Psalm 23. The most popular verse in the New Testament is I can do all things through Christ's strength. This is on Steph Curry's shoes. This is on, this is every, the quote every Christian athlete quotes after winning a game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is everyone's favorite verse. Now, uh, last year I was coming home from London. And uh, this was during the first travel ban. And I was going through customs, and I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous. Like, I'm brown? I mean, I'm not brown right now, it's winter, but I will be, be brown soon. So I'm going through customs, and I'm not gonna lie, I was seriously nervous, and I was questioned over and over again. Why were you out of the country? What were you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I was in London visiting a friend. What was your friend doing? My friend's a pastor, and I'm a pastor. What's your favorite Bible verse? Literally went blank. I'm like, what is the Bible? I don't remember the Bible. I'm like, and I just threw out the first verse. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm thinking at the same time, I'm lying. I'm going to go to jail for lying. 
Like that is not my favorite Bible verse at all. I'm lying right now. And he looks at me and he's like, oh yeah, that's mine too. Good one. You can go. Stamps it. I go. I'm like, I can do all things. No, I, I was... Now, but did you see the context of this verse? Like everyone knows this verse, but we don't know the context of this verse. The context is not winning. The context is not doing anything we want. I can do all things. You can't do all things. You can't become anything you want to become. That is not a thing. That is not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I can live without lack in Christ. I could, I could be starving to death and be okay. I can have, I can go to like the best restaurant in San Francisco and I can be okay. I can do that or I can starve. I've learned the secret of being content in every single situation. I can have a job, not a job, a family, not a family, a community that I love, not a community that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. It's this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I can show up and give myself completely and fully where I am because everything that I need is found in Christ and his community. Everything. That's all I need. And this is the context of the verse. It is not about winning. And it's not about getting all the stuff that you want. You can live with stuff. And you can live with no stuff. You can have plenty. You can have nothing. You can do all things through Christ. This is what Paul was convinced of. And what Paul was convinced of, just a couple verses later, he, was, he said, everyone can have this experience. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was like, I know for a fact, every single person who calls Christ Lord could experience the same thing as well. Because the riches of his glory, we already know about his glory, right? Remember the water to wine? His glory, there's enough there. Now, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. During Lent, the church traditionally fasts both to make room for God and to starve that part of our lives that lives on lust, that lives on blind want, so that we can see that God provides for us a better way than living like we did. And so here's a question. As we go into prayer and reflection and response to God, which of your appetites leads you away from Jesus' leadership in your life? What sort of appetites do you have that you find lead you away from Jesus' shepherding in your life, his leading in your life? What appetites? And maybe that is an invitation for you to fast. Maybe that is the invitation. That appetite is what you're going to let go of this season. And this is the appetite that you're going to say, I can let go of this because the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. I can go without this. I can go without that. I can, I've learned how, I've learned the secret. It's to learn the secret. You don't stumble upon it. You have to learn it. I've learned the secret of what it's like to have a lot and I've learned the secret of what it's like to have nothing. I can do all things through Christ. And what this does is it shifts us from a lack that drives us when our lack keeps driving us to the next thing to a shepherd that leads us. And you don't become less, you don't become less effective. You don't become less potent. You don't become less of a person or less of a leader. You actually are driven by something that's way better for your soul and that's Christ. 
You're not driven by your, your wants or your lacks. You're driven, you're not even driven, you're led by a shepherd who loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now that we would um, move into a space where we're really beginning to contemplate these things. That if you are a shepherd, we lack nothing. We have everything we need in Christ. And there are different ways that we need to respond to this, different ways that we need to, even now I trust that your spirit is doing something where you're calling us to let that go, let that down. I pray against uh, just in any way that we think that, oh, I'm glad the pastor said this. Oh, that was good. I pray against that sort of spirit and I pray in and over our congregation that your spirit would move us to then kind of take this inward and go down deep and go, and this is what this means for me right now. And this is what it means for me to respond to God right now. So spirit of the living God, move on our minds and on our hearts, down to our will and our action, Lord, to take steps of obedience towards you, simple acts, not so simple acts, very huge and small ways that we're moving towards you. And repentance, maybe even in lament. I pray there would be even a confession, Lord, of how we might have felt in the past not cared for by you. I know that, that there's some of us that carry that around in our bones and in our body. I pray that we'd bring that to you and that emotion, that feeling to you, God. And that we would remember who you are. And then you, Lord, we would ask you to remember us. I wanna bring my brothers and sisters before you that feel like they have lacked so much during this last season. There are things that their hearts desire really, really deeply and they just, it comes without consummation. I pray that during this season they were able to bring that before you and you would be able to hold that really deep tension that they feel right now. When they turn to you and they look to the Lord as their shepherd, they just can't say they lack nothing. I pray that you'd meet them right now. In Jesus' name, amen.